Hello, friends. Welcome to the Industrial Marketing Show, the number one podcast for marketers like you in the manufacturing space. I'm one of your hosts, Matthew Shinella. And I am MJ Peters. And uh, recording for the first time on an actual mic. We'll see uh, if it works out today, but hopefully I sound better than usual. And uh, today we have James Lorraine on the podcast. And uh, I believe we have the best speaker slash guest bio that uh, we've ever received. So here it goes, without further ado. Distraught by the fact that nobody ever knew what on earth he was talking about, Jim, an electrical engineer, noticed that there was a critical rift between technical and the emotional, the technical and the emotional. Engineers and developers just don't know how to communicate with the common man. At that moment, he knew that he had to devote the rest of his life to bridging the gap, studying how to transform the most insipid technical features, products, and services into compelling narratives that anyone could understand. He is currently a freelance copywriter, serving some of the most boring brands on earth. Amazing intro, James. Thank you. Thank you. So uh, when you say the most boring- like that, I should just leave, right? Shouldn't I just leave after an intro? Right there, I think. Okay, cool. Let's do that. Sorry, so, AJ, go um, ahead. I, I've been following you on LinkedIn for, for quite some time, which is why I thought you'd be a fun person to have on the show. You do a great job of bringing the boring to life. Um, at one point, I think we had a back and forth where I had you do like a story about a company I used to work for that made automatic door sensors. So um, oh, I love yeah, the idea. That was you. Yeah, yeah, that was me. Um, That's funny. And I love, I just love the idea of bringing the emotional to the technical, because I think it's something that a lot of companies struggle with, um, a lot of industrial companies in particular, and if people just made, paid more attention to it, um, I think that they could really vastly improve the results that their marketing is driving. So um, to kick us off, what's kind of your general philosophy on copywriting for technical products and, and what are some of the principles you use and apply when you're trying to write better copy for an industrial or a technical product? Yep. Uh, well, you nailed it with story, uh, which is something that is so funny because that one word like sends chills down the spine of so many industrial companies because you don't think you have one. You know, it's like you said, I make door sensors. I make automatic door sensors. Like there's no story there. There's no emotion. It's just a, it's just a, you know, a widget that does its job, right? Um, so a lot of the challenge that I have is trying to work with companies to convince them that B to B is just B to a lot of little C's, right? Like the people who are buying your product, the people who are interested in your product, are still humans at the end of the day, right? And they have they have dreams and desires and wishes and wants and things like that that your product can fulfill, even if it's an industrial brand. So um, that's where I take a lot of it. Um, with industrial, what I typically see is things follow one of two veins. Uh, the first is they're very feature driven or they're very heavy um, into trade name even, where like before the trade name has had a chance to even set in so people don't understand what your, what your trade name is, right? But it's like all over your marketing because you want it to stick. Uh, and the second one is overly generic, like something so nebulous you can't even picture it. I pulled from, I just went to Capgemini for fun and uh, their lead in for their website, their little preview text is get the future you want. I'm like, what the heck is that? You know, like it's so generic that it could be absolutely, exactly. 
So a lot of what my effort are putting, putting into is talking to customers, I mean, the basics, right? Talking to customers, understanding their wants and needs, uh, their dreams, their desires, their wishes, their concerns, and trying to wrap that story around any industrial product that I come across. So can you tell me a little bit about, because this is something that I see all the time with our own clients, we see this too, is you, and you said it, the desire to just feature dump all the technical specs that we could possibly have that all the engineers would find irrelevant and would hit all the bells and whistles that we think they would, so they would fit some spec. How do you shift the approach from being feature driven to being story driven? And what is that, how does that conversation play out for you when you, when you bring that topic up to your clients? Yep. Uh, so I actually use the funnel to explain it. So I use, I use a lot of sales to justify my marketing because I've done sales for a long time. Um, so I have that, that background. I can speak that language. So the, the preconception you have to break is that people assume that their customers already have a certain level of knowledge. Mm -hmm. And the level of knowledge that they assume their customers have is too high. So we talk about curse of knowledge and things. I've done activities where, for example, you share, share something you think everybody knows. You know, somebody just asked this question. It was actually on LinkedIn today. And something for me is like circuit breakers aren't designed to prevent shocks. They're designed to prevent fires. And that to me is like, duh, like I know that, but a lot of people don't, they think the breaker's there. So if you short it, you know, it'll save my kid's life. And you're like, well, not really. That's what you have a ground fault circuit for. The breaker is there. So your house doesn't catch on fire. Like that's the point of a circuit breaker. But because I know that it doesn't mean everybody else does. And if we went around the room and we all said a fact that we just think is so obvious, everyone knows it, people learn something new. So the approach of feature driven assumes that someone is so far down the funnel that they already understand that they have a need and even they understand that there are other solutions out there. And this is the kicker. They believe then, again, if, it, if you're listing features, that means you're trying to compare to something. So you are telling me now by listing features that someone is aware of you and your competition and now you're fighting. So if you can catch someone above the funnel, if you can go up a little bit, then you can catch someone before they hit the point where they're comparing feature to feature. Cause that's engineers love feature to feature. I do too. And why we do is cause we open two data sheets next to each other, two competitors and we work down feature, 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 which one is better. The other, the other thing that'll kill you is pick a feature. If someone is 0 0.01 better than you, you lose. So if I'm in that feature to feature, if I'm looking at, we'll just do cars cause it's easy. You know, you get 20 miles per gallon, your competitor gets 21 like you lose. But if you can just say it's fuel efficient, then okay, cool. It's fuel efficient. I, all I need to do is tell myself it's fuel efficient and I'm happy. Totally. Um, so I, I, I want to uh, give you a follow-up on that though, because um, one of the reasons that I wanted to bring you on is to talk about the art of the sales page, or as a lot of uh, industrial companies call it, the product page. So I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit here. When someone lands on a sales page or a product page, aren't they already at the bottom of the funnel? How did you get them there? Probably, let's call it landed on a home page, maybe read one other page before that, and then hit the sales page. Yeah, I think it depends. I drive a lot of sales page activity from ads. 
So when I set up when it's a smaller company and I try to set up something uh, more simple, it's three parts. I have your website and your website is your catch. I always tell people they have this perception that they update their website and they're gonna sell things. I'm like, not necessarily, right? Someone needs to get there and how do they get there? So beyond that, I have a sales page. Uh, it's in the middle. And then on the top level, I have an actual ad or something that's pushing someone to the sales page. So the ideal flow is they see your ad, they see your sales page, they buy. What happens though, is a lot of people see the ad, check you out you know, via your website and then maybe come back to your sales page. So if I, I never want to assume, my point is you'll, you'll have layers lower where you can put features, right? You need to have features so that people understand what they are when they're looking for them. Don't hide them, but have them, but don't make that what you broadcast to the world. Um, if you throw someone from nothing into features, you know, think of if you saw a car ad and it had no text about the car whatsoever and it just goes into miles per gallon and whatever, like all of a sudden it drives your brain to start comparing things. There's that whole left brain, right brain thing. It, and you start thinking, well, that's not as good as a Prius or something like that, you know, or what does a Prius get? I should go look that up. And it kind of throws you into this competitive thing. So I don't assume, I assume that the sales page is one of the first things people see, but that's because I designed my funnel that way. I don't design my funnel to start with, you know, going to the website first and then bouncing to a sales page. For me, the sales page comes before you check out the website, unless you're like sniffing around, in which case you'll hit the website and then come back to the sales page. I want to dig in, I want to dig into the concept of a sales page. Uh, and so I think what would help a lot of people on the show that may not have access to a professional copywriter, maybe a one person marketing team, maybe they want to try applying some copywriting principles themselves, see if this stuff actually works. Hey, if I tell a better story, am I actually going to get more sales? What are like the key things that you try to incorporate on a sales page? And like, how do you go from a blank page to something that is really compelling? Yep. So the best and easiest way to do this is to talk to an actual living, breathing. If you poke them, they say, oh, customer. Um, and a lot of people don't actually do that because we sit with our blank page and we think like, all right, I'm just going to write, like, I'm going to write something. And what happens is you end up with, you called it a product page, which that makes my skin crawl, you know, like versus a sales page. Because a product page, that puts me in the mindset of like features. It's about my product. Well, but if it's about your product, it's not about your customer, right? That's why I like the sales page. So first of all, I go talk to actual human customers. Um, what I do after that is I like to follow, and I found that this really helps people to to get into the flow of, of thinking in their customer's mind and actually to build, it can make, if you're not careful, you'll write too much, is following what I call the flow of consciousness or a stream of consciousness. So as an example, I was just working on a site, I can't really get into it, but imagine like LinkedIn and Fiverr had a baby. So it's for technical people who wanna be able to sell, but you have more of a profile than a, you know, than a, like a Fiverr where you just have a short bio and five reviews or five star review or whatever. So when you work through this, you work through a stream of consciousness. So if I'm someone seeing this for the first time, your headline has to capture my attention. It has to be, why am I even here? How do, you know what I mean? Ideally, you saw an ad or, again, something that pushed you to this page. But if you found the page out of nowhere, what am I doing? You have to appeal to something that somebody wants. You have to have a desire, right? So I try to, in the beginning, I try to build up a little bit of excitement. Right, because if somebody came across this, oh, this is kind of intriguing. What actually is this? Usually a headline isn't long enough to get into like the actual details of what something is. 
Um, so you have a headline. If you do have a subhead, it's a little more logistical about what your product is. And then you're gonna try to build up excitement. This is the kicker though. What I do next is, this is again, part of the stream of consciousness. Uh, if you've ever read the book, War of Art, it's absolutely brilliant. Um, it talks about the resistance. So when we start something new, like if I'm gonna do an oil painting, the first thing that happens in your head is no. Like you're like, oh, I should do an oil painting. And then you're like, no, no, I stink. Like I've never painted anything before. Like why would anyone think, how on earth would I think this is okay? Right, so you have that first level of resistance. If you push past it, no, I'm gonna make an oil painting. I'm gonna go to the store and I'm gonna buy it. When you get to the store, you're like, gosh, this is dumb. Why am I gonna go buy, like I can't, how much does this cost, right? You get to the register and you're like, what am I doing here? But if you actually buy it and you get home, you start and that first brush stroke, you're like, ah, this is gonna be crap. You know what I mean? But you have to push through. So you're like, well, I spent this much money and whatever. And then once you paint it, there's the biggest resistance of all. And the biggest resistance of all is everyone's gonna think it's stupid. I did it, it's dumb, I'm gonna throw it out, right? So if you think of that, like bumpy road, that is what your prospect goes through when they're reading this. So for an example, you know, that company I was talking about, it's freelancing. So if I go to my engineering friends and I say, do you want to make money? They're like, yeah, sure. Right, cool. But then, you know, they're like, but I don't have any time. You know, like, what am I going to, how am I going to have time? How am I going to find customers? How am I going to, like, there are all these questions, right, that pop up. Um, so what I do after I build up the excitement, you want to make money? Yes, I do. Cool. All right. Is I outline the doubt, but I'll call them out directly, but freelancing is hard. How do you find customers? How do you, you have to make a website. You have to register a business. You have to do all this is nuts. Right. And kind of show like, you know, you have to show them that. Yeah, it is kind of, it is absolutely a pain. Why am I even reading this? But they keep going. Uh, and then once you get past that, you intro the solution. And kind of that's when you kind of knock out the doubts one by one. Uh, before the close, you make the solution irresistible. So in this case, you know, if you think of Fiverr, you don't have to market like it's full of people looking for people that do what you do, right? So I bring I bring kind of that together. So I try to the easiest thing I've told people when you're writing something. Sometimes I literally put the question that the customer is thinking, like how am I going to have time for this? And then you break it down. Like literally I will put like the actual question text right there. But I found if you find that, if you follow that kind of stream of consciousness, which again, you have to understand your customer well, or you have to talk to them, then uh, it, it kind of writes itself because you lead with the question, you answer it. And then you're like, well, shoot this, I could see how they could be concerned here. And then I answer that. And then I'm like, shoot, well, now this is a concern. I go answer that. Um, so it kind of helps with that overall flow got a question for you about the copywriting for the sales page and the sort of homogenization of benefits for people. So I see the same thing all the time when I read product pages or sales pages for industrial companies in particular. And it's like reduced cycle time, increased productivity. It's like all these same tropes over and over and over again. How do you break through that when you're doing sales letters for industrial clients or have you done so in the past? Here's, here's a fun trick. And it's, it's, it's a way to break through. So there's a few ways and there's a way, if you read what most people say, they'll say, put a stat, right? So I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna increase your throughput. I'm gonna increase your throughput by 50%, 52%, right? Because right? now you're gonna listen to me. 
Um, one thing that I've done that I really enjoy is throw a hard no. I'm not going to increase your throughput. But, and then it depends on what the but is. Sometimes the but's really funny and it kind of negates the throughput. Like, I'm not going to increase your throughput. I'm going to make it so you need to build another plant because you're going to have so much business or something. You know what I mean? But when people read that and they read the hard not, it, it like throws you because nobody says that. Everyone says the same things. So nobody says that. So when I'm in a room with a customer, sometimes we do that whole, like, if I pull your logo off and I put your competitor's logo on, does it read the same? Like that kind of approach. The other thing I've pushed with people is, and I see this a lot in contract manufacturing. In contract manufacturing, like what is your specialization? And I've had a lot of people like almost in tears because they have none. So if you think of a contract manufacturer, they just build their thing for you. Usually their feature list is just a list of equipment and facilities, right? Yep. I have an injection mold machine. I have a facility in Mexico and one in the US. Okay, cool. Who do I describe? Everybody. Every contract manufacturer in the world. <laughs> Absolutely. So that's where I focus on. I think of it like the Domino's pizza delivery thing. Domino's had the pizza tracker. I don't know if you guys ever saw that, but it would be like, Martha, just put your pizza in the oven. Like you would get updates like, you know, Chuck, just put your pepperoni on. Hopefully he washed his hands after using the bathroom. Like you just get these updates, like as it's going through the process. And it was awesome, you know, because there's no difference. The same, the product is the same. You still get the same product. The difference is the transparency or pseudo transparency of the updates you got. So as a CM, you could do that. Like you could literally do that built five year, whatever today, you know what I mean? And it's like that level of communication becomes your differentiator. There's so many things that can be a differentiator, but to me, it's taken a hard look at the business because no level of like, I can't invent that in the copy. I can make it sound better, but I can't invent things that you're going to fall down on or not be able to live up to, right? So part of it is, you know, taking a good look at your business and trying to figure out what does everyone, else, it's a SWOT analysis, right? So what is everyone else doing? And then what do you do well? And what are other areas you can innovate? So I think the advantage, not to jump ahead, but of getting someone who's freelance uh, is they write for all different industries. They see all different things. So you're able to find benefits, either pull them from other industries or other areas that maybe, you know, you might not see because you're stuck in your silo. So one thing I'm hearing from you that's sort of a little bit of a theme is you seem to not be afraid at all to inject a little bit of humor or just, just, just a little bit of like off-putting language a little bit into some of the sales copy that you create. And I'm wondering, how do you get executives comfortable with that? Because that's something that I just imagine any chairman blanching at when you bring it up, when you, when you bring up doing anything that's a little bit jarring or off-putting in, in, their, in their sales page copy. Yep. There, there's a few strategies here. <laughs> uh, one of them is, I, I want to say this in the right order. Um, so one, it's laying it out ahead of time. So when you have a sit down in the beginning, you talk about how do you feel about your copy today? Right. And when you try to get them to say, because they will, well, it's boring, it's not exciting, it doesn't speak to the user, it sounds just like my, you know, sounds like our competition, whatever. And you save that. Because then when it comes back and you're like, this is nuts, you're like, let's go back to what you thought before. Right. So part of it is getting that understanding from them and getting that admission that we don't really like what we have, it's not special, all that stuff beforehand. Um, the other one is 
just the nature of me. So intentionally, when somebody reaches out and I reach out back, it's very conversational. It's very light. It's not very formal, right? It's who I am. Um, so I've kind of made this this joke. My wife hates when I say it, but there's an old saying that says like, men marry women for who they are. Women marry men for who they could be. If you've ever heard that one. Um, I feel like you, if you're picking someone to write copy, you should find someone who like you like their style. You shouldn't hire someone and then be like, uh, you know, I don't like that style. I'm more of this other style that's nothing like in your portfolio. Like, it's important to pick something like that. Um, you know, when you pick a writer, you should know what you're getting into. So again, it's all up front. I try to get them to admit, I don't really like ours. You know, I think our competition, it, we sound just like our competition. Ours is dry and stale. Everybody's is dry and stale. You get them to admit it up front. And then again, I'm trying to be my most natural self when I'm when I'm actually pitching. Now what I do, and I don't recommend this for everybody, but it's what I like to do, is when I come back for a first draft, I go, I crank it to 11. Um, so normally, normally it'll be like super stale, right? And I will take it and I will push, like I'll push a little bit harder than I think I should towards the crazy side. So some people just take it right away and they're like, oh, that's awesome, I'll run with it. Awesome, wow. And I'm kind of impressed sometimes. I'm like, dang, I wouldn't. Um, but most people come back and they're like, I just need to trim this here and this here. And, you know, this is a little nuts. And, you know, this reference to Super Troopers probably should go. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but they will come back and kind of like bring it back in a little bit. And I've told people up front, they're like, this is a little too far. And I'm like, I understand. And let me tell you why I did it. And usually I'm working with somebody below the executive. The executive comes back and says it's too far. So I can have a candid conversation with the person who brought me on and say, listen, this is why we did it this way. We did it this way because we're gonna end up at a sweet spot. But if I would have just gone for that sweet spot at first, you'd push me right back into starch, right? Mm -hmm. So it's a little more, yeah, go ahead. Interesting, I feel like that's a thought exercise that an in-house marketer could do too. Like if you were gonna challenge yourself to write the craziest, most cutting edge version of this, what would it look like? And can you trim that back to something that is better than what you have today, but still palatable to the exec? Um, so I want to go back to something you were talking about earlier, which is how you explain copy with the funnel in mind. Yep. And uh, you come from a sales background, so that's why you do that. I'm curious, you know, the, the purpose of great copy is to get people to continue moving through the funnel, to, con you know, to, to improve those conversion rates, to make them want to buy, no matter at, at what stage of the funnel you catch them, right? It could be ad copy, it could be sales page copy, it could be email copy, right? Um, how do you know, or what are the, some of the things that you look for to understand whether your copy is having the desired effect? Yep. Um, in general, I tend to aim up funnel, like higher up the funnel, because it's, I, number one, I don't want to accidentally assume that someone knows more than they do or I lose them instantly, right? So I'd rather be a little too basic than uh, a little too specific, right? Um, Number two, uh, well, actually, let me take this this way. So for looking at success, a lot of what I do of copy is pretty different. So it depends on what platform it's on, right? So if I'm looking at a website versus if we're looking at emails versus if it's, you know, cold copy, uh, cold call scripts or things like that. Um, I love playing with Google Analytics. Um, I think you should use it way more than just how many people visited my site 
but a lot of times I do similar as you guys. We look through the flow and figure out where people start, where people end, where they hop off. But I want to think about what they're doing, like what is going on in their heads. So a good example is, and this isn't specifically copy related, but I was working with a product and we had a homepage. Homepage had three products listed and they put the pricing right on the homepage. So what I saw is people went and they viewed the page for I don't a very short amount of time and then bounced right away. So, but we don't we didn't learn anything, right? What does it mean? What are they looking for? Did they find it? Did they whatever? I said I bet they're popping on. They're looking at price and they're leaving. So we took the price, we took it off the homepage and we put it under the product pages. Uh, and what we found is that now people like they went quickly, like all of a sudden the product pages blew up, right? Because yes, that's what they were all looking for. They were all looking for that price. But we also learned from that exercise, which product they were most interested in, like what ratio of people were looking at what thing. So it's kind of funny. And the reason I, I like the example too, is because we're always told to make things easier for everybody. You know, make it easy, put the button on the page, put the price on the page, put everything on the front page. Okay, well, that's great. But then we don't actually learn how to better serve customers, right? So, um, but I do use the analytics part. I worked with a company recently that had a very technical product, had no idea, like people would read their site and had no idea what to do. So we made a specific page explaining what they did. They gave me a little freedom. They still made me use like 12 letter words, but they gave me a little freedom. Uh, I made that page the explainer page, if you will. And they were like, wow, it's blowing up. Like that's the biggest page in the whole website. And I'm like, see now that tells me that your homepage is confusing and people like, thank goodness we made a big button that led to this other page that they can understand what they're doing there. So we need to bring more of that either to the homepage or something um, to make the overall site more effective. Um, obviously email open rates, response rates, tracking links. If you have tracking links, that's how you can know something's going well. Uh, and then conversion and calls. One of my favorite, absolute favorite things if you can get it to happen is if your customers use your own words back to you. And that to me is like the absolute best thing. So now that's when you know you nailed it. Like it doesn't, it's not a conversion, right? And I'm, I'm very revenue driven. So like, I wanna see conversions from things. Um, but it is, to me, that's like payday. Cause it, it means I said something so well that it stuck that it's become part of their vernacular, right? So. Yeah, and you can use that as a metric to track effectiveness of any uh, marketing, right? So, like, I had the same thing happen with a video where we made an animated explainer video, and then and and we showed this one piece of the system in green in the animation, and that it's not green in real life, and people on calls started being like, "Oh, what what what's the green part? Like, what part number is the green part?" And I was yep. like. You've clearly seen this explainer video, right? Then you said it's not a conversion, but in some cases it feels like one, right? Because somebody does yeah. convert and then they say the words back to you and you're like, you totally converted because you read that copy and it convinced you, which is a great feeling. Yep. Oh, yeah. And it's, I've even seen that on what I've encouraged people is with, I know it's silly, but like LinkedIn headlines, mm -hmm. like because it's something that it goes with you everywhere you go. It's on everything you do. So I worked with somebody else and uh, I actually was on their podcast and the guy said, uh, his name is Francisco, he's awesome. But he, he said, uh, like he, I don't, he had some generic headline and then said, I wanted, oh, I just want to tell people that I can make it more interesting than Netflix. I'm like, make that your headline. And he says, so many people now that he's done that have reached out and been like, I either, you know, I want to be more interesting than Netflix or, uh, you know, or 
how can you make me? I don't believe you can make me more interesting than Netflix. I'm like, now you nailed it, you know? So. All right. I want to end this by uh, asking you about most manufacturers don't have a full-time copywriter. Hell, most of them only have one full-time marketer. So (laughs) sometimes there's a little bit of budget in there to hire an agency or a freelance partner. So um, tell me what should, I I assume marketers will be the one making this hire most of the time. So full-time marketers and industrial companies who get the chance to outsource, what should they look for when considering a freelancer or agency partner to help them with copy? And then similarly, I guess if, if, it's, if the answer changes for an executive, how would you recommend it? Yep. Uh, I think it's the same thing. There are two main points. Uh, one of them is to actually look at the body of work that they've done, right? Which is important. And this is kind of what I've talked about because that whole men, men uh, marry women for who they are thing is you want to see some examples. I used to, when I interviewed people for engineering, I would actually draw out a circuit and have them solve it. So, uh, you know, like you actually, you know, no amount of where do you see yourself in five years is going to fix that. So look at the actual body work and make sure it's something that you want your brand to sound like. Because again, you don't want to try to squeeze them into something they're not. So make sure you find a good fit that way. Um, The second thing though, is responsiveness and communication. And that I can't overplay enough. You can, you can make up for point one, if you can communicate and talk to the person and the person speaks well back and forth. If you're working on something like a website, it can be a long process. You're gonna need to communicate back and forth and having someone who you can't communicate with or talk to, or you feel like isn't on your same level or you know friendly or whatever, it can just send the whole thing down, burning down in flames. So my big thing is looking for that body of work. And then again, making sure that it's somebody that you feel like you like and can talk to and can work with and call with questions and not have it be some giant horrible process. So. Not necessarily rocket science, but those are my two things. Yeah, uh, I gotta say, uh, it's not always that there are like a, a tactical takeaways that that we have from the guests a lot of the time, um, but there are two that I will definitely be taking with me from from this episode. The first one is just that like mental stream of like, what's the next objection? What's the next objection? And like thinking about that as you write your copy, and the second one is the power of the hard no. I'm going to try to I'm going to try to use those and take them with me. So I appreciate you sharing both of those. I appreciate you coming on the show. Um, James, how can people get in touch with you or follow you if they want to learn more? Yep, absolutely. The best way is LinkedIn. So I don't know if you guys have a note, you can drop a page, but LinkedIn.com slash in slash James Lorraine. Uh, and I know my last name is spelled funny. So you can just leave a post there. You can leave a link. Uh, the other one is you can do James Tech Copywriting at gmail.com because I am so cheap. I have not, I've actually bought a domain, but I haven't, I don't want to spend the six months, $6 a month for email, but either way, either of those will work. I'm my wife's Dutch. I'm not Dutch, but they say I act Dutch because I hate spending money on anything. Um, but yeah, either of those two will work. If anyone wants to get hold of me. That's awesome. Thanks again for coming on the show, Matt, you want to wrap us up? Yeah, definitely do that. James, you're one of the funniest guests we've had on the show, man. Thank you so oh, much. Oh, sweet. I'll take it. Um, You can catch the Industrial Marketing Show on all of the major podcasting platforms, including Apple, Spotify, and Google. Please subscribe to the Industrial Marketing Show. Please leave us a five-star review. Please leave us a written review. Please hit MJR and myself up on LinkedIn. Let us know how great or how much we suck. Uh, we We can take it either way. And with that, I'm Matt. And I'm MJ. And this is the Industrial Marketing Show. Thank you all so much for listening. Have a great rest of your day.